Hello, and welcome to In the Dirt from the Gravel Ride podcast. I'm your host, Craig Dalton, and I'll be joined shortly by my co-host, Randall Jacobs. In the Dirt is made possible by listener contributions by listeners like you. Simply go to buymeacoffee.com slash thegravelride, and you'll see membership options as well as one-time contributions you can make to support the podcast and everything we do. This week on the podcast, Randall and I are going to take a look back at 2020, the ups and downs, some of my favorite episodes and conversations I've had, and some of the things we've been able to achieve personally due to the lockdown. It wasn't all downsides. There were some upsides, particularly our work on the new ridership forum we've been talking about in previous episodes. With that said, let's jump right into the conversation. I did want to apologize quickly for the few minutes of helicopter background noise you'll get to enjoy while I'm speaking, but that was out of my control, as you can imagine. Hello, Randall, my friend. How are you today? Today is a good day. I just uh, got back from a ride before the rain came in, and I'm still living amongst the redwoods on, on the ridge above Half Moon Bay, so I have... Very little to complain about. How about yourself, Craig? I'm doing pretty good. I just finished doing a few repairs to the bike. I had John Vargas from Orange Seal, the sealant company, on the podcast last week, and I promised I was going to go check the sealant levels in my tires, and I knew I needed to swap tires out because I've got these new Rene Ars tires that I wanted to try. I feel somewhat guilty and somewhat vindicated. One of my tires was bone dry and the other one actually had an appropriate amount of sealant in it. Remind me what you're running currently? I was running a mullet setup. I had a Sendero WTB up front and a Byway in the back. Got it. Yeah. And they tend to, like the, the sidewalls on those tend to, at least the first time you set them up, I, I found that my sealant dries out a little bit more quickly because it's doing a lot more work to seal all the micropores. So that's not surprising. When was the last time you refilled? I think I might have done it two months ago, at least in one wheel, but the rear wheel, which is the one that was bone dry, I don't think I've touched in four or five months. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. so there's, Especially being in LA. Yeah. It feels so dry down here that I was like, when John was mentioning how often you should check your sealant, I was thinking, I am totally guilty of ignoring that. And I'm going to have a long walk home with no cell coverage in some of these canyons. Going back to our everyday carry, this is episode. This is why I carry a little sixty milliliter bottle in my my frame bag. True. I think I need like a, <laughs> I think I'm going to need like a spot transmitter to be able to signal someone for a ride home in some of these canyons. I just get no cell phone coverage here. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing interesting with that setup, I've gone from forty seven millimeters to forty two millimeters, and it's been a while for me. Certainly, I don't think I've ever run my six fifty B wheel set with this narrower of a tire. So it's going to be interesting because I'm going from a slick rear tire back to a knobby, but on both sides going a little bit narrower. So, you know, I'm really, it, you know, it's important as a gravel cyclist to just try these different setups and see what feels right. My inclination when getting a bike that was bigger tire capable was to go as big as possible. And now I'm dialing it back a little bit. As you know, I'm a fairly technical rider, so I'm not fearful of what I'm giving up there, but the volume will come into play and it'll be curious to see how it all pans out. Yeah. I'm curious as well. Cause I know you have, you're running our wheels, right? Which are quite wide. And so with the 27 internal, those, those, t- I'm curious to see how wide those tires sit and how they perform. Uh, cause it's a, a little bit wide for that particular width of tire. Okay. Uh, it should work just fine. We've had other people do it. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be interesting. Yeah. Interesting setup. 
Find out soon enough, I suppose. Yeah, tomorrow, hopefully. <laughs> uh, oh, man. So I wanted to get you on the mic this week and just talk about 2020. I mean, we're recording this mid-December. And in many ways for gravel cycling, 2020 has been the year that was and the year that wasn't. Mm, when I, very much so. When I think back to all the things I was doing at the end of 2019, I had been in Bentonville, Arkansas, previewing the Big Sugar Gravel event. Um, there was obviously a bunch of acquisitions of big gravel events. There was a few new ones that appeared on the calendar in 2019. So it felt like 2020 was going to have all kinds of events, all kinds of new equipment coming out. And some of that happened, but some of it didn't due to COVID. So it's been a topsy-turvy year. Yeah. Well, the trends in the industry in terms of like what people are buying have definitely continued with, you know, gravel being the thing, which is not surprising at all because these are, you know, as I've long said, kind of the all-purpose road, off-road bikes that the industry should have been selling normal people all along instead of these, you know, race replicas that we were, were all riding before. Uh, so that continued. But yeah, the, the lack of events and even like group rides or at least responsible group rides has definitely been a challenge this year. Yeah, that was a big switch for me lifestyle wise. Just I really always look forward, as we've said on the podcast before, I just look forward to at least one group ride a month. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's uh, the, the, the rolling community yeah. element of it. Yeah. So the bike biz in general experienced a boom. Like you said, gravel as a category, but kids' bikes. I mean, there was an absolute drought of equipment on the, available on the market at certain times in the year. Well, and that was a, kind of a couple of things happened. And actually, you and I were talking about doing a, a deeper dive on just the state of the bicycle industry and supply chains and so on in general. Um, and I think we'll, but- we'll definitely do that one, Randall, because I think it's really interesting. Yeah, there's some very, um, uh, very interesting dynamics happening. Uh, we'll leave it. At, we'll leave it at that. But we can allude by saying, like, when the pandemic first hit, you know, sales went off a cliff because everyone was very reasonably, you know, panicked and concerned about what you know what was to come. And then shortly thereafter, you know, bikes spiked, but at the same time, supply chains were were clogged up by you know measures taken to reduce spread in, in areas where bikes are being produced. And so that has wreaked all sorts of havoc. So if you have a gravel bike, be glad that you have it. And if you don't have one, and you have an opp- and you're thinking of one for next year, and you have an opportunity to snag one, um, it might be wise to uh, make that acquisition sooner rather than later. Just given uh, what I'm seeing for availability, though, who knows? Who knows? That's a whole other conversation we'll have in the new year, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. So one of those things we kind of referenced is with the elimination of formal group events, there was this void that's been fil- filled both by this great surge in solo adventures, but also in a lot of race organizers putting out virtual challenges, which I think was interesting. Mm. And I, I participated in a number of them and a number of them we've discussed in the past, whether they worked or didn't work. But I thought that was an interesting trend in 2020. Yeah, I actually want to hear more about your experience. I've, I'm, I tend to be one to go to a few events a year, but do a lot of solo or like group riding with friends. So uh, I'm less engaged in that scene. Yeah, for me, you know, a couple of the ones stood out and it was more due to kind of what they put out there and what I ended up experiencing that I think why I have an affinity for them. I really like the ones that were basically encouraging riders to go out and do a route in their local community 
that somehow matched or pay homage to the event they had signed up for, the virtual event they were participating in. And the reason I highlight that is because there is now an archive of amazing routes all over the country from people who participated in these rides. And because they were, you know, all named after the event that they were highlighting, you you can find these things out there. I'll speak specifically to my experience with SBT Gravel. I was asked to put down some routes for the San Francisco edition, and it was a real labor of love for me. I spent hours thinking about how could I create a route that was as physically and mentally challenging as what I had experienced in Steamboat the year before, but was really a tribute to all the great trails we have in Marin County. So I set that down, and honestly, I thought I made the black route harder than I would even want to personally do, (laughs) which was quite funny. But I I had a a crazy friend of mine, James, who said, no, we got to do this. You know, I wanted to do something big for my birthday. Let's do this. Let's do the black route. And we said, I said, okay, let's do it. We were supposed to do it on the day of SVT Gravel, but we ended up doing it the day before just because of some logistics on our side. But we did a, you know, an absolute mega tour of Marin County, much of which were some of my favorite trails in the county. Outstanding. Um, is that, uh, I assume that there's a link to it and to all these routes that you can, that you can share. Can we share it in the show notes? Yeah, or? absolutely. So SPT gravel on their website has a linked a page that's, um, to the virtual events. And I think there were something like 26 cities and a handful of different countries that had routes locked down. Wow. So you'll find links to ride with GPS where you can download those files. And, you know, I did it when I first came down to LA, that was the first thing I hit up just to get a few GPX files in my computer and oh, that's great. and some ideas as to where to ride. Yeah. Oh, we should throw that in the, um, the GRP ridership uh, channel as well. It'd be a good place for folks to find it. I want to dig into this because I'm going to be doing a road trip shortly. Yeah, you've got to. So that, yeah. so that was my favorite ride. I mean, it was part the trails that I chose, but it was also part the camaraderie of riding with my friend James. He, mm-hmm. ne- he had something he needed to do, so he insisted we started at 4.30 in the morning. So we, mm-hmm. we started with headlamps, which was great. You know, it just kind of adds to the overall experience of doing a, a massive day out on the bike. Yeah, yeah. Very, very cool. Yeah, how about you? What was your favorite ride of the year? I mean, I I went for a few good ones, but the one that I found just most joyful has to be the the group ride that that you and I hosted. So I think, what what did we call it? The Thesis Gravel Ride Podcast Gravel Exploro. Uh, We started in downtown Mill Valley, uh, went up, I think we went up Old Railroad. We went through a bunch of stuff that I actually hadn't really tied together in that way before. You, You led that part of the route. And then uh, up to West Point Inn, and a lot of people split off from there. There was a group of us that came from the city and put in a proper, properly long day. I think like 30, 35 people showed up. And going back to the city, I think there was five of us together. But uh, it was a really lovely ride in that it had a bit of everything. And people of different abilities and different amounts of time available were able to come out and do the, the portion of it that made sense for them and just split off uh, you know, where they needed to. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. There's something about... You know, it's often challenging when you get a a group ride of, you know, 35 riders going off-road to imagine that everybody can stick together. But that there was something about that ride or that route and that group that just made it easy. Like, we never were waiting too long for anybody, and no one was too far ahead. No one got lost. No one got injured. It was just 
a really nice day out on the bike. Well, and the handful of us that really just wanted to go hard and be exhausted when we got home got that in the second half of the ride. Uh, so it kind of worked out well that way. It's a format that I'll definitely be following in the future when group rides are a thing again. Uh, so that we can get like more inclusive rides that have people of all abilities. Yeah, I think that's one of the nice things about Marin County is that, you know, you've got so many ways off Mount Tam, which is kind of the focal point of the ride, that you can bail out very easily. So unlike if you're in the Sierras or up in Tahoe, where you're doing a massive wilderness loop, which definitely has its own challenges and, and, and benefits, the route around Tam is ideal for mixed ability riders because you can you know make it as hard as you want and you can also provide great bailout options for people yeah fully agree fully agree and that's something you know randall on the ridership forum for us in 2021 i really want to help riders design great group ride experiences and mm-hmm. i think it's a great opportunity for us to really put some value out there into the world Fully agree. And it's it's a problem that I haven't really seen solved well, like this ride coordination elements. Like you can post a group ride on, say, like, you know, on your shop website or on your team website or something, but then it's it's very siloed. And then how do you do real-time co- coordination if somebody's running late or the like? Uh, so we're, we've been thinking about how to facilitate that without having to build software, you know, use tools that are out there and, and kind of uh, in, a, in a novel way. We'll see what we can come up with. Yeah, it's been cool to see people jump into the different regions and start to coalesce and join together and suggest rides and routes. And I think what we're talking about there is just sort of the next level of, yeah, how do we, you've put a route out there, you've called it out that next Saturday we're going to do a group ride. How do we do it safely? How do, what kind of communication tools can we use? I think there's a great opportunity there. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, how about some of your favorite things in 2020? Mm, that's a good question. So I've been riding, you know, as you know, I've been riding the thesis bike all year, which has served me well. A couple things that I've added on that have been a revelation would be I've gone to a wider bar. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm using a, a PNW Coast Bar, and I think it's a 48, if I'm not mistaken, which is a jump. Hood to, that's hood to hood? Yeah, exactly. Which is a jump from the 44 that I had on there previously. And for the type of riding mm. I do, I've just really become happy and accustomed to it. It's got a nice flare, but not overly flared out there. And I feel super dialed on the technical stuff right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, that makes sense. And you're also, I mean, have you really ridden much road at all? No. Like I, yeah, I, so. I feel like in 2020, like I've all but given up road riding. I might have done Paradise Loop at home a few times with with some road friends, but other than that, I really can't point to many other rides. Yeah, and I think that that make that sort of setup makes sense for a gravel bike that really is a more of a dedicated machine versus say the way that I ride it. Like I was out on a road ride today, so I like to be able to swap between the two and still have it look and feel like a road bike in road mode. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The other sort of little tiny thing that I, I just have to give a shout out to, any product that can make it so I don't walk home from a mechanical is important to me and deserves a shout out. And I have to give a shout out to my friends at Dynaplug because Mm -hmm. at least twice, if not three times this year, I've got a cut in the sidewall, little one, uh, once in the tread and just popped a Dynaplug in there, let the sealant do its trick, pumped it up a little bit and rode off. 
you've managed to seal a sidewall cut, like outside of the the core tread area. I would say top top of the, like the very kind of outer edge of the tread. So Got si- it. Okay. sidewall maybe is not the right statement. <laughs> that one that one's tough to to seal, but yeah, I've I've had good luck with these as well. I've been using the the kind of generic you know bacon strip sort of thing, which is similar to what you a smaller version of what I have from my my car. Uh, being able to you know fix fix flats when you get a uh, a nail or something in the in the tire. Do you with the bacon strips? Are you just kind of pushing them in with a with a little tool and yeah. trimming them? Is that how they work? Exactly. Yeah, and then the sealant comes around and and seals up all the you know the up around it. Yeah, I just got so to, just, I just got a Topeak like eighteen tool tool thing with that has bacon strips in there. But being yeah. honest, I've never used a bacon strip before, so I think I would, I would still go to my Dynaplug first. But it's good to know they're in there because I feel like they they could seal an even bigger hole. I'm trying to think, I've I've used it once. I've been I've had good fortune this year, either good fortune or I'm picking good lines. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, Anything that stood out to you that you've added to the bike this year that you know you'd say that hey, this is one of my favorites of 2020. Uh, my big thing has been riding with a frame bag. Um, I love it. Like I, you know, I went for a road ride today and it's so light and just convenient to have what I need to bring that I just leave it on there all the time. And so, you know, I've gone on some rides where, you know, a short ride, it's like, I have everything that I need where if I, if I get caught out and certainly where I am, uh, here in the mountains, like I can be in the middle of, you know, I can be five, 10 miles away from a road. Well, maybe not that far, but I can be far enough from a road and far enough from cell coverage where it's, it's a bad time if I get caught out. Uh, and then for all day rides, you know, I'm, I'm making my meals, uh, and especially in a COVID world, uh, it, you know, you want, you want to kind of minimize your engagement with the communities you're riding through if you can. Uh, so, you know, I'll, I'll make a whole meal and put it in my frame bag and have it ready to go and just, uh, enjoy lunch on a Ridgeline or the like. Yeah, that's a good point. I've been, I've definitely like amped up my bag and on bike storage these days. And even lately down here, I've been throwing on one of those handlebar feed bags and dropping a third bottle in it um, as a way of making sure mm. I don't have to stop anywhere for water. Yeah. Um, I mean, the another solution there, and I, I've done this in some of my bike packing, is um, so I have a partial frame bag uh, from my friend Mark at Post Carry. And then I also have a, a prototype that he made, which is a full frame bag. And when I take that one out for bike packing, I'll actually, actually put a big, like, three liter reservoir in there. And that's a, a pretty great, great solution for, you know, all day, multi-day sort of riding. Yeah, that's been one of the one of the super engaged discussion threads on the ridership forum mm-hmm. lately about one of our one of our members setups, which is interesting. It's definitely something that I've wanted to tinker around with and explore a little bit. I don't have a full frame bag at this point, but I've even thought about putting it in my quarter frame bag um, to just sort of effectively have a third bottle, but have a hydration tube coming out of it. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense and it works really well. Uh, it's actually more convenient, I find, than grabbing bottles and shoving them back in. Yeah, yeah, I imagine so. So let's see. And then the other thing is actually not, uh, the second thing I have is is actually not a bicycle product, but my 2011 Toyota Prius that I took the back seats out of, built a platform and uh, have a little cabana tent off the back and have it set up as kind of an adventure mobile so I can get to the places where I want to ride my my gravel bike setup or go bike packing further afield. Nice. I think at some point we're going to need to see a picture or video of this because this isn't hashtag van life. It's hashtag Prius life. Yeah. It's definitely far more minimalist though. When you take out the back seats, it's shocking how much you can fit in there. 
Um, the platform that I, I put my bike on top, I could probably fit two bikes on top with a, with a piece of cardboard between. And then when I park, just lock it up outside the car. And then all of my gear goes underneath the platform, cooking gear, food, whatever. I can even have room for my telescope. So it's, it's not like, I'm not really wanting for much with that. And so just so I understand it visually, is the hatch open and your kind of feet are out there on a platform or are you all enclosed in the car? So it's a, it's a good question. So I built a, a four-panel platform connected by piano hinges. And the, um, f- the rear section will fold out of the way so I can access the storage underneath. And then the front section folds out of the way because you need room for the front seats. But when I slam the front seats all the way forward, the platform gives me six foot four inches of, of space and then plenty of width for me and another person. And I get a two-person Thermarest-style uh, mattress uh, so it, it just works really, really well. So again, is the, is, yeah, I was, is the hatch closed? Uh, I can sleep with it, sleep in it with the hatch closed. I also just got a one of these Habitents, which is a, a small uh, company in the U.S. that makes these tents that, when the hatch is open, it gives you you know screens and windows and, and protection. And it's not it doesn't necessarily make like open up a ton more usable space, but just the feel and the vibe and the ventilation and so on is really nice to have. And it was like a hundred bucks, which, which I couldn't complain with. So I added that to the, the setup amongst other things. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. I'll be taking it out next week. A uh, bit, bit of Death Valley action. Hopefully. Fun. Hopefully uh, if the parks are open. Uh, so let's see, what else did we want to talk about today? Oh, and then other things for this year. Um, like being invited by you to do these in the dirt sessions, which has been really wonderful and something that I've, uh, you know, I've always aspired to, to have a, a platform to nerd about bikes and ideas. Uh, so thank you for that. Oh, you're absolutely welcome. It's been a pleasure and a lot of fun. And I think I know from the feedback we've been getting that from listeners, uh, you know, people have been enjoying it, which is awesome. It's great to hear. Now, how about your favorite moments of the year? You know, it's been a it's been a fun year. I mean, I've been doing the podcast over two years now, and you know, twenty twenty. As I said, I thought it was going to be me attending, um, interviewing a ton of event organizers, and that was going to be this this big thing. And it turned out that wasn't the big thing that I ended up doing. But it's been equally enjoyable. I think I've learned a lot having the forum and the gravel ride podcast Facebook group prior to that, just getting feedback from the listener about what they're Mm -hmm. finding utility. And, um, it's been great. So, you know, I think for me, like the most informative episode, if I think about it from that context for the listener, I think was Jan and a from Renee air cycles. It was just a very thoughtful discussion about tires and what works and what doesn't work. And it, despite being released at the very end of September, it's skyrocketed and is in my top five most downloaded episodes for the entire year. Oh, nice. Which is cool. You, my... What was the... Oh, um, I was just going to say you and I are in my second most downloaded episode of the year, which is the Gravel Bike 101 episode. Oh, nice. Who, what's, what's number one? Number one is uh, the Salsa Cutthroat episode. And I think recording that episode and the feedback I got very early early on in the year was very illustrative to me about what people value. The cutthroat is a little bit different of a bicycle than I had been covering prior to that. 
So a little bit atypical in that it 29er wheel set, very mm-hmm. big tire capacity, really built with a lot of input from the bike packing and tour divide, you know, multi-day yeah. racing kind of category. And I think that was just fascinating for a lot of people to hear about. Yeah, that that machine definitely is much more of a uh, a de facto drop bar mountain bike. Yeah. 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 So it's like very capable uh, off-road machine. And I I think the thing is it does, it just opens up another little sliver of possibility on what you can do on the bike. And I think we've talked about the trend towards bigger tire clearance and little things like that, that is continuing to come into play with the most forward thinking gravel bike brands around. Yeah. Especially for like a dedicated machine, if you're going to have a road bike as well. If you're going the kind of the one bike route, then it can be challenging. But if you're having multiple bikes in your stable, having something that's that radically capable and you can even put a fork on it, I believe, I think it's fork corrected, uh, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, so just another sort of sector of bike to consider, you know, when you're thinking about what you really want to do with your bike. Hmm. Now, before we get off the uh, Rene Harris uh, uh, episode, what any big takeaways from that one? Something that surprised you or? I mean, some of them are, are sort of more obvious when I say them or when I heard them. You know, I think what he, he made a point about the uniformity of tire tread. When you have a tread pattern that's very equal across the tire, you lose very minimal amounts of efficiency on the road. Sometimes I get hung up that I'm on these big knobby tires on the road but the reality is it's it's you're not losing and he you know he did a lot of research on this punishing himself actually riding these tires against one another and found again like it was it was rarely the inefficiencies in his tire setup that were a deficiency in his overall power Mm -hmm. yeah well and, and you and i have talked about a way to kind of balance some of those goals too by doing the whole mullet setup so if you if you're going to go knobbier go knobbier up front where you need it and maybe a file tread in the back yeah 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 and there was also the big you know just sort of the omnipresent discussion of 700 by 650b and you know it really it, there's so many variables that go in there i think the takeaway there was if 650v b allows you to run the equipment you want to run then run it. Don't think about mm-hmm. that you're losing anything. Think about what you're gaining. Yeah, yeah. And I'm obviously I'm I'm a big proponent of of more volume the better. But obviously living out here in Marin, where you know a dropper post also is part of that equation, and you're riding mountain bike trails, that that is uh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but yeah. if you're in the middle of the country and it's relatively flat, seven hundreds might be the way. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, as we said in the opening, you know I'm real curious to try these 42 millimeter tires, a little bit lower, lower tire uh, width than I've been running. But I think it's pretty appropriate for the type of stuff I'm doing down here. So how about your most fun episode to record? You know, I, the gravel cycling community is so great that, you know, the, every conversation I have is usually just fluid and easy, which is, which makes the effort I put into this, you know, joyful. It's, uh, yeah. you know, there's nothing worse than interviewing someone that who's like pulling teeth. So it was, it's, there's a bunch of episodes I could probably highlight, but I first Instagram live recording, which I was trying during the, the beginning part of the pandemic with Amanda Nauman was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, great rider and just very fun lady to talk to. And the other person was Rebecca Rush, just talking about 
everything she puts into Rebecca's Private Idaho and, you know, all her accomplishments as an athlete. She was so approachable and friendly with her time. It was just a joy to talk to her. I think that was probably one of those episodes where I had 15 minutes of post-recording conversation that I just, you know, it was, we were technically off the mic at that point, but we just went on and on talking. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah, she's she's wonderful. I had the, the good fortune of being invited to a dinner um, hosted by Alan Lim at Sea Otter when Sea Otter was still a thing. Remember that? And uh, got to talk to Rebecca and just hear her story. And she, I mean, she had to work really hard. And also she was, when she wasn't on the bike, she was working another job. Like there's not as not much money in women's cycling and even for someone as accomplished as her. Um, and so hearing that part of her story was definitely compelling too. And she's just, uh, has a great attitude and it's fun to be around. So yeah, so true. I'm, I'm excited for 2021. I think there's, you know, there's a whole host of people I still want to interview, getting a lot of feedback from listeners at this point as to subjects they'd like to hear about. So, you know, there's no dearth of investigative discussions that I want to have to enlighten people about equipment events and, and athletes in gravel cycling. Mm, Yeah. Well, and you and I too had talked about some of the kind of the, the more like psychological or even spiritual elements of cycling and maybe getting somebody on who's an expert in one of those fields to, to explore that further. Like what does, what does this experience mean and how does it tie into a healthy lifestyle? There's, there's a lot of great areas to dive into. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like COVID has allowed a lot of us opportunities to do things we might not have done otherwise just because of, you know, the the lockdowns, the, the lack of social interaction. What are some of the sort of highlights of COVID, if there can be, for you? Not COVID itself, obviously, but just the time it's given you this year. I think the the central theme, I would say, for for my year has been self-reflection. And like all the, the usual distractions, all the usual excitements, all the usual you know patterns that I had in my life, I, which I think is true for a lot of us, aren't there. Um, I really feel for people who are in parts of the country or parts of the world where it's, it's winter right now um, and where there's a flare up, that's you know, that much more difficult. And so I would say self-reflection um, on the bicycle, a lot of solo riding. Um, as opposed to, you know, I used to always be on group rides, always like linking up with somebody. And so that, that idea of the, the rolling meditation, sp- enjoying spending time with myself. Uh, and then just doing things that are not the bike. I've been trail running a bit uh, and been reading a ton. I'm like a book a week uh, or two books a week at this point, which is, uh, has been, you know, again, part of this broader, you know, uh, kind of contemplative theme of the year for me. How about yourself? Nice. Yeah, I, you know, I spent the first maybe four months of the lockdown really recommitting myself to meditation. And I don't think I've actually shared this with you, but I had a good 90-day streak going in there, which I was proud of myself on. I do realize that with meditation, I'm very streak-oriented, which is there's something wrong with my practice right now. I really feel like I need to practice for practice sake and not give up because I broke my streak. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it's one of the things that uh, I that I remind myself with that. So my meditation practice is all over the place. Uh, so you're, you're, the fact that you had a 90 day streak already is, is pretty outstanding. Uh, but this element of, you know, just like you get distracted or you fall off 
and you become, you know, you're mindful of it, you're aware of it, and then you get back the focus. And, and really, it's kind of like meditation in the moment in microcosm, like is, is a, like is a microcosm of that broader situation of like getting away from that, that uh, self-reflective focus that you were talking about. Yeah. I mean, I feel like as, as we share, like riding is that rolling meditation. So I don't feel like it's devoid and entirely missing from my life, but I do think that's part of my challenge is to really kind of dig into making that time to sit quietly, to add to the rolling meditation on the bike. Hmm. Now, one thing I, I would say that, um, again, another one of these kind of silver lining on the gray cloud of COVID is uh, it's not a lot of FOMO because there's not a lot of mo, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, like there's not much to miss out on. And so it really is like, okay, well, what am I going to do with this time? That is, and, uh, that is so true. It's something my wife has mentioned on a number of occasions. She's like, she's very happy not to have FOMO. And I think... Um, you know, she's really valued that aspect of her change in life. And for us, you know, at a personal level, we were able to move down to Southern California to care for my mother-in-law. And that, you know, that wouldn't have been possible in other times in the same way it has been now. So I'm, I, mean, I am thankful that the current situation in the world has allowed me to kind of come down here and, and spend time with family when they need it. I think that that time to like... So in my case, like I went back home for six weeks and was embedded my sister's family with with my uh, my niece and two nephews there, um, and you know it's something that I otherwise wouldn't have done. I would have been at Burning Man or something. And you know I just the 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 time to really sit and reflect on how one is living one's life and what is important and to reset. I mean I think a, a lot of this certainly for me a lot of these changes will be durable like what, what I prioritize in life. Cause I've had the opportunity to, you know, to not be missing out on the things I was doing and also realize that a lot of the things I was doing, I didn't really, didn't really give me the balance and the sort of life and, and life trajectory that I wanted or, or, you know, connecting me with the type of people that I wanted to be connected with necessarily. So I think that that opportunity to reset is something that hopefully, um, you know, as many of us as possible are, are, uh, you know, grabbing the opportunity, however difficult it is to deal with the loneliness and the stress and everything else of, of being in a pandemic environment with all the, uh, you know, everything that has been happening, happening politically and, and, uh, and so on in the world. Yeah, totally. I hope, you know, a couple of years from now, we'll look back and see that we've all grown. I think there are some things, you know, going back to the discussion of gravel cycling, I think there are things that the community has learned throughout the pandemic that will be durable. And I think virtual events, solo expeditions, all these kind of cool things that have arrived, they're not going to ever supplant the need and desire to get together as a community, but I think they can add to our experience as cyclists. Uh, just imagine what it's going to be like when big group rides are a thing again, and you see like all of your friends in big group uh, like that. I don't know the it just seems like it's going to be such a joyful, uh, relieving moment <laughs> when that's when that's uh, you know part of the regular routine. Totally, it's a room. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know another one of the projects that probably wouldn't have happened is the ridership. Yep, you know, you and I had both been growing separate communities around the gravel ride podcast or in your case thesis and we realized maybe in part due to covid but i think it was there before that 
the ridership or the vision we have for the ridership is much, much bigger than what we're doing at the gravel ride or what you're doing at thesis. Well, it ties into kind of the, like, what are the tools that we need to facilitate the online tools that we need in order to facilitate the sorts of online connection that we're all so starving for. And like, it, it plays into like why we got, you know, why we got, uh, your, you know, the gravel ride podcast community off of Facebook as an example. Um, have you, have you seen the social dilemma yet, by the way? I haven't. I've been a little bit scared. <laughs> um, watch it. Like, I, I, it was really, really well done and talks about some of the you know, toxic elements of uh, social media and how it's eroding our, our psyches and our, and our culture and our social uh, cohesion and so on. And it's done, um, it's, it, it ties into kind of some of the motivations that I think you and I talked about in having a forum that is, is structured in a different way with different incentives. Yeah. I mean, I think we want people, I know we want people to be able to jump into the ridership forum, get their bike nerdery out, ask questions, share their setup, share pictures of their ride, share their routes, generally commune with other riders, but then get the heck out of there. Go ride your bike. Yeah. And when group rides are a thing, coordinate group rides and then go see each other in person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's, let's take the love and passion the gravel cycling community shows when it's in person in events. Let's package up an element of those discussions in an online forum devoid of advertising, devoid of any distractions. And let's, you know, let's get together and build something. You mean you don't want to like manipulate the members of the community and then sell their uh, their mindshare to advertisers who try to convince them to buy crap or vote for things against their interests? That is not part of my plan, Randall. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well, I guess uh, I guess we'll just have to go with your way. Um, so, and we've had some good conversations happening in there too. Um, obviously, lots of talks about bikes and gear. Um, plenty of bike nerdery there. Um, my our friend Patrick over at Speed Science Coaching, who actually is a is a thesis alum, um, has been sharing a lot of his wisdom on core conditioning and hip openers and and uh, things like this. Things you can be doing off the bike that can help you on the bike uh, and and off the bike. That was really cool to see. I mean, Patrick's a coach, obviously, and someone who charges for his services, but he has been there freely mixing it up with other users. In fact, sharing what I would say are sort of proprietary. PDF documents about core work and strengthening and hip flexor, uh, hip flexor flexibility, just things that he's developed as a professional. He's just putting them out there for people to use freely. I thought that was really cool to see. I mean, it wasn't like we asked him to do that. Someone asked a question about training for their first hundred miler. And all of a sudden here was Patrick laying down all this knowledge. Yeah. You know, it was, it was, he was, it's funny because um, after he left to focus on his business, he was doing our rider experience and our consults and so on. Um, people would still be reaching out asking for him. And apparently some of our riders are still working with him as a coach and so on, which is, it's just really lovely that, um, you know, again, this, this theme of, of connection and being genuinely useful, whether you're you know making money off it or not, put good things out in the world and, and your, your living hopefully will, will come. Yeah, exactly. The other thread that I kind of picked up on, uh, there was a lot of discussion around riding in Mendocino County in California. Mm -hmm. It's an area that's not far from San Francisco. 
yet I don't think I've pedaled there more than once or twice and not in a meaningful way. And it's always, I've seen pictures of some grasshoppers up there and some other experiences that I've lusted after. And it was just cool to be able to dig in and ask questions about like, oh, if I was going to stay in a hotel, what town would I stay in? What are some Mm -hmm. ways in which I can find some routes and just to get GPS files dumped on me was awesome. When you're back in the bay, let's uh, let's make a trip. Yeah, I've been doing a little bit of riding up there, and this this it's it's stunning in a in a uniquely kind of north of uh, you know north of the city sort of way. Yeah, absolutely. There was also I got connected with a gentleman by the name of Simon who's putting on an event in Kenya called the Migration Gravel Grinder, and it follows the migration. It's during June, which is the migration period of the wildebeest in Kenya and he's building this gravel cycling experience to showcase local athletes and create a, I think it's a four day long event. I'm going to get him on the podcast for an interview in January to talk about it. But I thought it was really cool to see an event organizer kind of come in and start mixing it up in the forum. And, you know, selfishly for him, I hope that what he's putting in is going to come back out in terms of awareness of his event in Kenya. Mm. Hopefully, um, it's only the, um, the, the sag wagons following the Peloton and the lions stick to following the wildebeest herds. <laughs> there was some discussion of that there were local tribesmen that would be guarding the tents every night when you were sleeping. So that's reassuring. Yeah, I've heard uh, stories about um, well, what's the one in uh, South Africa, uh, the Cape Epic. Yep. And like, you know, various uh, encounters with wild animals. Yeah, I, t- I want to share a quick story on the podcast before we go. So I raced in the Joburg to see mountain bike race, a nine day stage race in South Africa in 2019, I want to say. And I was riding with one of my teammates and we stopped for a pee break after riding along a long barbed wire fence line. And we could see uh-huh. a couple of riders coming behind us. And we were looking out in the field And we saw an animal and we're like, oh, this is great. This is our real South African experience. And we see the animal kind of running towards our general direction, that fence line. And I forget what kind of animal. It was some sort of like gazelle or horned deer-like creature coming our way. The exact name is escaping me. But we see it start visually changing its trajectory towards the rider coming along the fence line so it's making a beeline to ram this poor rider (laughs) and myself and my friend were just like oh my god this woman is about to get impaled by this animal what can we do we're still 50 feet away from her but what the animal didn't realize was that there was a barbed wire fence in between it and the rider and it ran full speed into that fence and I, I don't know what damage it created for the, for the poor animal, but it did bounce off the fence and was able to run away. And the, the woman rider rides up to us on this corner that we were turning on. And I was like, holy crap, I cannot believe what just happened. Oh, my God, were you so terrified? And it turns out she was a, a German woman, and she basically just said something in the most casual way that, you know, she, she wasn't concerned about this gazelle or whatever it was about to impale her in her South African stage one. Well, on that note. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. On that note, 
we are going to leave you this week. If you want to join the discussion in the ridership forum, you can just go to theridership.com and fill out a little thing and we'll send you an invite right away or hit me up on social media. I'm happy to share that link. We'd love to get more listeners in there and continue the discussion. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I will see everyone in the forum and Craig, I'll see you in a couple of weeks for the next recording. Right on. Thanks, Randall. All right. Take care. Thank you for spending a little bit of your time with us this week. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I know we did. If you are interested in supporting the podcast, you can visit buymeacoffee.com slash the gravel ride. There's a few one-time perks as well as the membership program. I'd love for you to join. And if you're in your podcast app right now, take a minute and leave us a rating or review. That helps hugely in our discovery. And I do read everything you write and enjoy doing so. With all that said, I'll see you in the Ridership Forum or next week in your favorite podcast app. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels. Music